Welcome to the ICU podcast, where we explore the vestibular experience through conversations between patients and the health professionals who care for them. During this podcast, we invite patients to share their stories and healthcare professionals to ask questions so they are equipped to better care for and truly see the invisible challenges faced by their patients. I'm Kimberly Warner. And I'm Cynthia Ryan. And we are your hosts on this journey of discovery. Well, welcome, everybody. I am so glad that the topic of our first podcast episode is how to explain your symptoms to your healthcare provider, because I think it's a key piece of the vestibular patient's journey. Vestibular symptoms are difficult to describe, and often patients don't have the words to explain how they're feeling, especially the technical language that healthcare providers normally think in terms of. In addition, there are different vocabularies. Patients may not be feeling well, and simply can't articulate clearly. And this can lead to misdiagnosis and frustration on the part of the patient who doesn't feel heard and understood. So we'll get started by introducing our guests. Uh, I want to welcome um, Marcus Pauletti, is a second year medical student at the Keck School of Medicine, University of Southern California. Before that, he attended the University of California, Berkeley, where he received a degree in molecular and cellular biology. He became interested in otolaryngology and healthcare related into the field of head and neck surgery early in his training due to the complexity of the region's anatomy and and its vital importance to these structures. He's also the co-president of the otolaryngology student interest group at his medical school. And Kimberly, I'll pass it off to you. Hi, Marcus. So happy to have you here. Um, And Joy, Joy Holton is with us as well. She's a vestibular patient and a 48-year-old mother of two who lives in Austin, Texas. In 2018, she began experiencing constant dizziness after an infection. For three years, she suffered daily symptoms, but was still able to work from home like a lot of us. But then in 2021, that all changed when her symptoms went from bad to worse. She visited the ER five times and she was finally forced to take medical leave. Eventually, she found Dr. Shin Bei, also my neurologist, one of the country's leading dizzy neurologists who diagnosed her with vestibular migraine and PPPD. Since then, Joy co-founded a YouTube series called Finding Joy in Your Vestibular Journey and hosts a Zoom support group for fellow vestibular sufferers. I'm so delighted to have both of you here, and I'm just going to jump in. Um, Joy, I want to ask you a question to get this started, because personally for me, I know it is very hard to explain our Mm -hmm. symptoms, and I struggled with that for years. Why is it so hard to explain our symptoms? Do you have any thoughts about that? And and did you struggle with it in the beginning as well? Yes, I struggled with describing my symptoms because there are so many different little symptoms that you've never heard textbook words for them. You know, like, oh, my toe's hurting. It's throbbing the feelings I started having were so unusual. Um, I remember 
sometimes it felt like if you would take a pin upside your right temple and just push on it, it wasn't a pain. It was just a feeling and trying to describe that to a doctor was so hard. I would have little tingles on my head. I would sometimes have uh, what we call, well, what I call, because I name my symptoms. I give them little names for all the symptoms I have. I call it the jolt forward. I feel like I jolted forward, but I didn't. Um, you have the brain scramble where you feel like someone's shaking your head and your head stops, but your brain keeps scrambling. Um, I know on weather days when the pressure, I get the rocking feeling like I'm rocking on a boat and there's so many feelings. And when you go in, you're like, I'm dizzy. And then the doctors want to ask you well, is it dizzy? Is it vertigo? Is it this? And you're like, I don't know. I just feel dizzy. I just feel off balance. <laughs> oh yeah. And, you I know, you, you, that, that makes me think, Joy, when you're saying that, I, I'm thinking a couple of things. You're using some mm -hmm. words that I haven't used. And I love your terms, you know, the, the, the jolting forward feeling or the, right. um, you know, the brain scramble, which a lot of people might use the term brain fog. Um, or maybe that means, something different to you, but that's, that's the, the point is that everybody has their own words to describe what's going on for them. And the healthcare providers are trying to fit them into certain boxes that are used uh, in medical terminology, you know, like dizziness, that's a good example, mm -hmm. um, both because there are so many uh, flavors of dizziness, there's so many things that the word dizziness can mean and um, in order to make a diagnosis, a healthcare provider wants to find that, that one word that is in their system so that they can check that box. And it's just but really it also, hard to bridge those. Yeah, and I, but it also makes me think, and Marcus, maybe you can chime in on this, but I would imagine the doctor is also trying to assess the validity and the mental stability of this patient. And so you add some of these words like tingly and rocking and strange vision, and you almost think this person might be on drugs. And sometimes we've talked about that as vestibular patients where we do feel like the best way to describe it is that we're on drugs. And that's the last thing we want our doctors to be thinking when we're describing these symptoms. Yeah, dizzy, not drunk. That's the, the word that, um, the phrase that we have for it, you know, because a lot of vestibular patients have been accused of being drunk. Yeah, Marcus, well, that, go ahead and go ahead and share with us your thought on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Joy, first of all, uh, I thought your explanation of your dizziness was profoundly illustrative. Like, uh, you explained it in such a clear way to me. I mean, you didn't have to use technical jargon or uh, medical words like apraxia, or you didn't have to say the word vertigo. Just by explaining how you really felt beyond the word dizzy, I feel like you conveyed a lot that would really help a healthcare provider. Um, I'm only in my second year of training as a medical student, so I don't actually have that experience to have to say that I've seen many patients with vertigo myself. 
Um, so I can speak just from what we are taught as a second year medical student. And that is um, just like Kimberly noted, uh, a lot of our practice is hearing the patient, trying to let them use their own words and then uh, fitting what they're saying into our little boxes in our heads um, to try to differentiate the diagnosis among a variety of things. That's I, gotta be I a like really that. complicated thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's a little bit of a complicated thing because um, dizziness is such a broad differential diagnosis. And what I'm saying is that uh, when someone comes in with dizziness, it's possible they're on drugs. It's possible they're having vertigo due to a number of causes, whether that's central or peripheral. It's also possible that they're having adverse drug reaction, not to anything illegal, just to their own normal medications. It's possible that they're having a cardiac event of some sort. So there's a very wide differential. And, um, you know, your balance and your vestibular system is like your sixth sense that you don't really think about. So it can be hard to explain um, when the sense goes wrong because you're not thinking about it in the same way, like maybe your eyesight, you can easily explain that you're seeing shooting stars or something, but it's a, it's a lot trickier with the vestibular system. So I think when you explain things in your own words, uh, that's immensely helpful, I would imagine, to a healthcare provider. Wow, Marcus. Okay, I wish you were my doctor eight years ago, but Joy, I want to know how did your physicians respond to you when you first explained those symptoms? So when it first started in 2018, um, I went to a few different doctors. Yeah, I went to cardiologists. I went to my OBGYN. Finally, I went to my primary care physician and, you know, he ordered a stool sample, which we found a bacterial stomach infection, which I'm not quite sure if that's really what it was or if it was a vestibular migraines, because it's funny in 2021, same symptoms. But anyways, um, nobody really knew. I will say my primary care physician at that time, I had been going to him like 15 years he really, you could tell he really cared about me. We had a great relationship and he just sat down and said, we're going to figure this out. You know, it took a few tries, a few different, um, you know, I went to an ENT that just didn't really know about any of the vestibular stuff. He finally sent me to a neurologist here locally and he first diagnosed me with occipital neuralgia. Um, you know, the nerve in the neck, which is probably when I feel that pain or that pressure feeling, it could possibly be the occipital neuralgia. So, you know, physical therapy, physical therapists are wonderful, by the way. Um, you know, so we did that, still felt dizzy. And I knew something was still off. So I went to an ENT who handled dizziness. So we did the ENG, VNG test. Then I got to do vestibular physical therapy. Again, those doctors are wonderful, really helpful. And so this what do you last, mean? Can I interrupt? Like, what do you mean when you yes. say wonderful? What does, what does that mean? They just really take the time, you know, luckily the ones that I had took the time to really listen to your symptoms explain 
kind of your vestibular system, what it's going through. And they'll take the time to teach you exercises to help you. And they explain, you're going to go through physical therapy. It's not going to be a quick fix, but stick with it. It may provoke some of your symptoms at first. And um, they will they will help you through that. And they the ones that I had seemed to give me a regimen of physical therapy tailored to me. You know, they just didn't pull out a book and say, okay, we're going to do the same thing for everyone. I feel like they really get to know the individual and kind of, I don't know if I'm skipping ahead, but that's kind of what you want to look for in a physician. So in 2021, my primary care provider had retired. So I went through doctor after doctor trying to find the right one. I was told by one doctor that um, there was nothing more she could do for me. I should see an Eastern medicine doctor. She had not run any tests on me. She hadn't even seen me in person. It was all telemed. And I felt very defeated. Um, that is when I went onto the Vita website. I found a vestibular therapist that would come to me. And from there, she came and worked with me and she recommended Dr. Bay. Um, you know, I had seen him on the posting groups and I made the phone call and it wasn't just anxiety. A lot of the doctors were telling me it's just anxiety. It wasn't. So what I have found is finding that doctor who's may not have all the answers, but will take the time to say, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to stick this out with you until we find the answers. Yeah. You bring up a, a couple of really good points, Joy. One is you were, when you were talking about how wonderful physical therapists are because they take the time with you. I think that's one of the challenging things about the system is that physicians um, uh, what we you know refer to as, as medical doctors who have an MD or um, similar um, uh, sort of credential, they just within the system, it is only set up for them to be able to see a patient for a maximum of 10 to 15 minutes. So they don't they don't have the time to really get to know patients, you know, which it's is it's just part of the system. It's I guess you could say it's bad, but I don't know that we can make that judgment. It's just part of the system, but their role is also different. You know, the role of the physician is to assign a diagnosis and then refer the patient to, uh, to treatment. Whereas the role of a physical therapist is to create a customized uh, therapy regime for that patient. And I, I'm just curious, you know, Marcus, as um, a physician in training, how are you taught to speak to patients when you're documenting their symptoms or their medical complaints for the purpose of collecting information so that you can hopefully help assign a diagnosis? Yeah, that's a good question. So when we are taught on interviewing patients, working with them to help them with their conditions, we're taught to ask open-ended questions to try to elicit the patient's feelings and the patient's symptoms in their own words. We don't want to uh, 
put things in their head and, and bias them to say uh, they feel a certain way. And then we are trying to document uh, what they say in their own words as much as possible using quotations wherever we can so that uh, the first stage of an encounter with a doctor should be really uh, our role is both to immediately support the patient and then let them know that they are heard and that their condition is valid, but also um, just to be a sponge and soak in as much as we can unadulterated information and then work with that uh, and work with the patient to reach the diagnosis. And you're absolutely right. Uh, in our day and age, physicians are definitely pressed on time uh, which is very unfortunate, but um, leads to the role being sometimes more confined. Yeah, I would imagine it would even leave a patient hanging if suddenly maybe they, it's scary to share our emotions and it's, um, whether it's with our best friend or with, you know, a stranger or a doctor, it's scary. And some of these symptoms are very scary. And maybe the patient is just getting into the emotional aspect of it and oops, my 15 minutes is up. Um, how, how do you handle that? Is there, I mean, I'm just curious, can you say, I, I need five more minutes with this patient or do you have to send them out the door? <laughs> That's a terrific question. And I'm sure it depends on the physician practice setting and how their practice is set up. I, I think that's probably something that's very individual, but whenever you are uh, taking more time, there's always an opportunity cost. And I imagine that if a, a doctor has uh, a number of patients they have to see, taking five minutes with one may uh, mean taking five minutes less with another. But um, I think that's a very situation-dependent question and something that physicians, of course, would like to work on. Is no physician wants to spend only five minutes with a patient. They want to spend as much time as they can. Yeah. yeah. Joy, and have you been in that? Go ahead, Cynthia. I was going to say it's a whole team also. You know, it's not just the physician. The physician has um, a team. Uh, I, I Actually, Marcus, maybe you can help me with this. I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience, not as a vestibular patient, but just as a, a patient. Um, the physician has a, a team of um, physician assistants and nurses and, and other allied uh, providers that they that can support them and maybe um, follow up with the patient after, after the uh, appointment, the office visit. That's yeah, really I imagine... Point. That's true in a lot of settings. Um, I think it's very situation dependent, but absolutely uh, physicians definitely work within teams almost always. And uh, we see ourselves as only one part of that team and try to do the best we can as that role. But definitely uh, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts is what I'm trying to say, I guess. And uh, medicine is definitely a team effort these days. Joy, have you been in a situation or countless times where you, you, you said you went to the emergency room five times and I, that's always a scary place. Do you yeah. remember trying to communicate your symptoms while you were also emotionally fraught? And have you learned how to communicate vulnerably and authentically while you're in those scary places? Yes, yes. When you're going in, you don't know what's wrong with you. You're feeling lightheaded. Sometimes in those moments, it is really hard to communicate what you're feeling, you know, and you have to take that deep breath, focus, you know, 
communicate what's going on with you. Some things I have learned from seeing all the different doctors that I've seen is, um, you know, I'll take notes with me beforehand, a doctor's appointment. I've learned not to just take a big stack of notes because sometimes doctors are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I, I take a few notes, um, you know, so it's not so intimidating. And I try to ask the most important questions first. And what I've learned dealing with the different doctors is if you're going to a specialist, I try to only ask the questions for that specialty. Now you can ask some other questions and most doctors are very kind and will, you know, it's not, if it's not in their field, they'll say, that's not my field, but you know, try this resource. So I try to streamline the questions and kind of something that Marcus touched on, not only do you have a team within that doctor, but I feel like I've made a team of my doctors. So all of my doctors share information with each other. I've learned to use the patient portals in clinics because many times you can communicate through the portal. Um, you know, so get the feel for your doctor. And I will ask them nowadays, how do you like to communicate? Do you like me to come in? Do you like to do portal? Do you like telemed? And I'll just ask them openly and honestly, tell me how it's best to communicate with you. And it varies. I have some doctors, they're not very technical, so they don't use the portal and others love it. They're like, send any question through the portal. <laughs> so I'm learning. I'm learning how to communicate with the doctors in just ask. If you don't know, don't be afraid to ask your doctor a question. You are a very informed uh, and proactive patient, Joy. Um, when you, I mean, from, there were several things in what you said that I want to touch on um, that um, not every patient is going to be prepared to do is number one, you, you identify which provide, what questions to ask of which provider. And uh, I think, many patients, maybe even most, don't know enough about which provider does what to know how to, you know, which questions to save for which providers. But you also followed up by saying, just if you don't know, just ask and they will let you know this is not, this is not within my area of expertise. This is who you should, who you should ask about that. Um, you know, where do you learn about that? Vita is a good source, I think, for, um, for one of the things that I, I like to I like to say um, about what Vita can can do to help vestibular patients is we can help you become your own best advocate, your own best healthcare advocate by learning about your condition and learning about how the uh, the vestibular healthcare system works, so that you know who to see for what. Um, and I think that um, being part of the the peer um, support groups uh, also is good for that. You know, you can be talking with other patients about how they have communicated with their healthcare providers. Uh, I think it just, you know, the more you know, the more empowered you feel to communicate with your healthcare providers. And I think that you, you need that empowerment um, so that you can guide the, the direction of your Kimberly, I can see you want to say something. 
I do, I do. Because what about the people like me who lived seven miles from Vita and didn't know you existed? I want to know, and and finally, I do. But Marcus, I want to know, I'm dying to know, how do you as a physician help a patient learn to communicate better? If she's struggling to communicate and she's feeling awful, she's having the scariest worst day of her life, how do you slow her down and help her communicate what she needs to communicate so you can try to assess what's going on? And then you can send her to Vita afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Well, as a med student, that's definitely something that I am still working on figuring out. And I know that there's a lot of us out there that would definitely want to hear your perspective on that, uh, especially Joy, since you've had so many different encounters with a variety of physicians. What do you want um, a medical student or a physician or any really healthcare practitioner uh, to communicate with you or how do you want to be uh, approached when you're coming to them for these issues, especially when they're acute and, you know, you're already dealing with the nausea and the vertigo um, that's making it hard all, on you already. What would be uh, an ideal for a medical uh, practitioner to uh, make that conversation productive? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind when we're seeing a physician is to not have the physician just dismiss your symptoms um, to really take note of your symptoms and to, you know, let us know if they don't have the answer that, you know, we don't know what's going on with you just yet. We're going to figure this out. You know, we're not going to abandon you. Uh, we may have to send you to some other specialists, but we'll work on this together. I think, for us vestibular patients, and I've heard the stories, I've had this happen with some doctors myself, is there's just nothing I can do for you. I'm sorry. Um, go find another doctor. That's disheartening to somebody in that panic mode. And with vestibular conditions, it also brings a lot of anxiety. So most of the time when you're probably going to see patients, they're going to have some anxiety going along with everything else. So I think that's the most important is just letting that patient know that they're being heard and some way, somehow, you know, you'll help that patient get to where they need to go. It also makes me think that was amazing, Joy. And I, I, I agree. I think just knowing that they have your back even yeah. if they don't have the answers. And Marcus, is there room for touch? And I'm saying, and then maybe it's not allowed other than unless you're like, you know, checking their heart rate or, but I found when my physician came close to me and put her hand on my knee and said, I'm here with you. Like there's that entrainment and, and, you know, if the doctor's nervous, then don't get close. <laughs> but if the doctor can ground themselves and come close and actually use some of the, you know, the ideas of entrainment to allow that other person's nervous system to mirror. Did you guys talk about that in medical school? Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually one of the things that at my med school, for example, we address first before we learn how to work up a patient with specific exams. We're first taught 
the most important thing to do is to build rapport. That's what we call it when we're just trying to actually come to a place where the patient feels that they can trust us and share the information that will help them um, with their diagnosis and treatment. So uh, building rapport is definitely the foundation that uh, MDs use to enter a conversation. And um, that can be physical contact, that can um, just be letting the patient have their moment to speak uninterrupted. It can be giving them the floor, uh, giving them great eye contact, showing that you're present really. Um, and that's different for every physician, but I think um, the goal is to connect with the patient so that way they can feel heard and understood and respected. Yeah, absolutely. And Joy, have you found any specific examples of ways that that's um, been able to convey to you with your physician? Yes, definitely. Um, like I said, my primary physician, you know, I, I could just tell that he cared about all of his patients. Um, sometimes when I'd go to see him for a checkup, he would ask me, how are you doing? I say, I'm doing fine. He's like, no, how are really, how are you doing? Cause he knew I had a stressful job and um, you know, and I would always break down crying. Cause I was like, oh, he knows I'm stressed out. Uh, you know, and I've had other instances. I remember uh, I went to the ER back in 2021 amazing doctor and an amazing nurse that I had. They were wonderful um, because we still didn't know what was going on. And you could tell they were very concerned. And as I was getting up to leave, I started immediately getting lightheaded and dizzy. And they both came in and talked to me. And they're like, you know, you might be having a little bit of anxiety attack and anxiety And the doctor himself. He's like, I struggle with anxiety. I was like, wow, okay. And I spoke to the nurse. She's like, yeah, I struggle with anxiety too. And it was just so calming. Wow. And I knew that they were busy. It was at the height of one of, um, you know, a spike in medical issues. And so they were so kind. And I think sometimes just taking that moment to be real, like a, a real moment with your patient, just calms the patient's nerves down. For me, it did. I was like, okay. Okay, this is I'm not the only person that goes through this. I think I can get through it. And um, th those little moments help. They do. Yeah, it's it's about more than just explaining your symptoms. It's about conveying your whole experience of being a vestibular patient. Um, and Marcus, is is there anything that um, that what are the things that you think patients can do to better help you understand their their whole experience and not just their medical symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, hearing Joy at the beginning, I think was for this podcast was kind of a great intro to what that could look like with her really illustrative language that encompassed not just um, the symptom names, but also just how they affected her when when people speak openly and just use their own words instead of um, using medical language or anything like that, I think it's just best to be open and let it flow as naturally as you can. Do you like to hear even how it's affecting my, like what if I said, oh, and my, it's affecting my relationship and I haven't been able to work my eight hour shift or, I mean, do you also like to hear how it's affecting our lives? 
Yeah, well, um, I imagine that a physician would take that into account when they're developing a plan, because the physician is not only thinking in their mind about um, what conditions you might be dealing with, but also what the next step will be to approach that, what their actions and plans are going to be. And that varies based on how it's affecting your life. Um, many physicians, their goal is to improve your life in the way that you need it improved, not in a cookie cutter way. Uh, so telling the provider how your life has changed from this condition can really help them come up with the appropriate action plan for you. So um, I have a question that's kind of a little bit off the topic, but um, I know that um, talking about mental health is a, a, a sensitive issue. You know, patients don't want to be told, oh, you just need to see a mental health care provider because that can be devaluing. But it can also actually, you know, we're talking about, you know, a, a whole person's, how, how this affects someone's whole life and, and dealing with the anxiety. I know dealing with the anxiety of a vestibular disorder can really help a patient be um, better prepared to, to then uh, enter treatment and deal with the physical symptoms. How are you taught, Marcus, to, um, to coach patients on, you know, uh, whether or not to see a mental health care provider and and, you know, how do you frame that? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's definitely an advanced topic that I'm, I'm not ready to discuss yet, but hopefully you bring me on in a couple of years after I've gone through rotations. Um, one of my first ones will be psychiatry. So hopefully I'll get some exposure to that and can come back with the answer. But um, Joy, is that something you experienced, for example? Yes, I did. Um, my first neurologist that I went to he said, you need a person or a pill. He just told me that you need a person or a pill. I was like, okay. And so I was like, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get a therapist. Okay. So I did that. And I was hesitant to try an anti-anxiety medicine. And I think a lot of us in the vestibular community are because medicines, what do they say? May cause dizziness. You want me to take a medicine that might make me dizzy? I'm already dizzy. So, um, you know, I kind of pushed back on that and I thought, let me do a therapist. Okay. So again, 2021 rolled around. Um, the doctors are like, we all think this is anxiety. And I feel like once I learned what anxiety actually does to your body in that it's the flight or or the flight or fight response in your brain. Once I learned the technical issues, I was more open to taking the medicine. Um, I think that was kind of the turning point for me when I really understood. And what I did was I went ahead and just met with a psychiatrist because they know medicine. They know medicine for mental health, for anxiety, where Every doctor I went to was giving was trying to give me a different anti-anxiety med. I didn't know which one to take. So I met with someone who specialized in the medicine, and that made me feel comfortable. <laughs> For me, everyone's different. Um, so that was when I took the medicine. So for me, I would say someone really taking the time to explain kind of what anxiety is and not just telling you, you need to take a pill. 
that was the difference for me. And Marcus, I would add too that um, I think that it's important. I wish I had had a physician say, hey, this is chronic now. And because it's chronic, it's affecting your life. And some people find it really helpful to have a therapist in their life to address the ways that it's affecting you socially, in your career, all of those other things. And I'm not saying the root cause of this is a mental health disorder, but I'm saying that it it is affecting all of these other areas of your life. And so there actually are chronic illness therapists now. I've found many of them that really can hold our hands as we navigate the medical territory and help us work with the real interpersonal relationships in the career and all identity aspects of the illness. So right. even though you haven't taken psychiatry yet, I think you, I give you permission to say, Hey, a therapist can be really, a really good friend. <laughs> I think that's well put Kimberly. It's, it's about, as you were saying, joy dealing with the, the anxiety part of it, that is a physical issue, you know, the fight or flight response, you know, it's, it's a, a, an, an automatic response that you can't control. It's so it's, it's right. technically a physical problem, but it's also about managing the stresses of your life that are imposed by chronic illness. Um, so both are important. Um, so Joy, I'm, I'm curious, did you use any, I mean, you, you've explained your, uh, your symptoms so well, did you use any resources to help you figure out how to do that? Or did that just kind of come naturally to you? Yeah, those were my terms that I use. Um, now kind of going through Vita, um, you know, there is, I believe, on the Vita website, uh, some help that will kind of give you some definitions of some of the symptoms, which is helpful. And I've found some other online resources um, that kind of explains, you know, I don't have the vertigo, the spinning around. So I don't have that type of vertigo. So I know the difference between that, but uh, I have researched some online through Vita and other resources, kind of what all of those symptoms are a little more technical. Um, yeah. I don't know if brain scramble is really a technical word, but. It's a good well, one. I think we should add it to our list. <laughs> well, I, 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 this is such a fantastic conversation. I'm learning from it. Um, and I hope you guys are too. I, I, I want to know if there's any sort of take home message, Joy, um, to other vestibular patients. Do you have any sort of universal take home message to help them communicate better with their, their healthcare practitioner? Yes, be your own advocate. Don't be afraid to speak up during a doctor's visit. Um, like Marcus said, most doctors really want to know what's going on. Um, they really do. Be your own advocate. Um, you know, have a journal so you can kind of keep track of when something started. How many times did you have that? Uh, keep a medication list handy. Um, so that way, when you're going in, you have these answers ready. Because again, you know, and it's not doctor's fault that they only have limited time that we are going to remember everything in that visit. 
Um, you know, and again, we always say have grace with ourselves, but sometimes we also have to have grace with the physicians as well. You know, um, just build that rapport with your physician. And if you have a physician where you're not getting what you need, it is okay to get a second opinion. Um, you're not alone. Reach out to Vita, reach out to an online support group. And there's people willing to listen to you. And a lot of times, you know, I know when I'm on different groups and someone's having trouble finding a physician, I go to the little Vita physician search and we'll try this one. <laughs> so be your own advocate and don't give up. Um, you will find your medical team that will help you. That's the perfect message. I, I love that. Marcus, what do you think, what's your, what's your take home from today that you think might improve your uh, clinical practice when, um, you know, when you're seeing patients? Yeah, well, this has been such a great conversation and um, I've learned so much. Um, I think some of the things that I'm really going to take away from this conversation are that uh, vestibular disorders present in such a colorful variety of ways. It's, it's not enough to uh, just wait for the keyword to pop up that you're waiting for. You need to really let the patient fully explain how they're feeling, um, really explore what's going on in their life and how it's affecting their activities of daily living to get a really great holistic picture to help them not only come up with a diagnosis, but then move on from that to uh, what the next best steps are. And, um, you know, we have a variety of training paths within medicine. And um, I think it's important to be fully comfortable that if you don't know the answer to a, a patient's problem, um, accept it. And instead of um, admitting defeat in a pessimistic way, make sure to uh, share that, okay, I don't know the answers, but um, let me help you find someone who does. Yeah, I think that's you are going to. Yeah, um, don't you think Marcus is going to make an incredible doctor? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, too. We're all. We're yeah. going <laughs> to get him on our directory. Yeah, I, I can feel your compassion and your curiosity and your real intention to to be there with the patient. Um, so I. I thoroughly have um, faith in your ability to do all of that and more as a practitioner. And Joy, wow, you are like the gold star patient. Um, I mean, I, 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 I really do think there's a lot that you have to teach and offer. I'm so glad that you're doing a podcast um, because I think that there is a lot of wisdom that you have learned from your personal experience and now are sharing. So I just wanna tell you both from my heart, thank you so much for sharing this conversation. And I'm sure Cynthia, you probably feel the same way. Absolutely. I, Marcus, I wanna thank you for your interest in helping vestibular patients. You know, that I, I, I have heard from, uh, from many physicians um, and from patients who have seen physicians that uh, that they don't really <clears throat> vestibular patients, dizzy patients are messy, um, and um, they don't all want a lot of vestibular patients coming through their office. So I love that this is uh, an area of interest that you um, are exploring and uh, 
and you're going to bring your expertise to help vestibular patients down the line. I really appreciate that. Enjoy. Well, thanks for having you me have. Thanks for having me on. I learned a lot and uh, I'm looking forward to learning more. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in to ICU this month. We hope this conversation sparked new understanding of the vestibular journey. And for all of our patients out there, leaves you feeling just a little more heard and a little more seen. I see you.